Welcome back to the Tasty Morsels of Critical Care podcast. So way back uh, in the way back, back in Tasty Morsel number 43, we discussed inotropes and vasopressors. But there was a noticeable um, ADH um, analogue shaped hole in that post uh, that I promised to discuss at a future stage. Well, the time has come and it's time to run through vasopressin. You probably first encountered vasopressin when you heard about ADH or antidiuretic hormone in medical school. Uh, antidiuretic hormone, named for what it stops, um, its discussion in medical school involved delving into the world of endocrinology and negative feedback loops and something we will be studiously avoiding here. So vasopressin is an ADH analogue, very similar in structure with very similar effects. And, and as such, vasopressin exhibits the same ADH effect. Um, but this maxes out at very low doses. So your ADH effect of vasopressin maxes out at a very low dose. Much lower than what we would use in septic shock, for example. At the very high doses we use, much higher than the pituitary can secrete. Um, so we can give much more vasopressin than the pituitary can secrete ADH. At these very high doses, it acts as a pure presser without the inotropic effect that we're used to when using more familiar agents like our beloved noradrenaline or adrenaline. So how does it work? Well, this is where the fun begins. We're used to messing around with the adrenergic receptors, but vasopressin opens up a whole new bunch of confusing letters that have a whole myriad of effects. Some of these receptors are even shared with other molecules like oxytocin. The main one we're interested in is the V1 receptor. This is found throughout vascular smooth muscle. Stimulating this causes calcium release from the sarcoplasmic reticulum, leading to increased vascular tone. Note that noradrenaline has that same mechanism, calcium release, it just affects that through a different receptor. This vasoconstriction um, affects pretty much all the vasculature, including things like the coronaries, which is maybe not so good, but it does seem to spare the pulmonary arteries, meaning that it may be good in those with pulmonary hypertension. What other receptors is it worth knowing about? Um, I suppose both for examinations and for the all-important one-upmanship in the ward round. The V2 receptors are mainly in the renal collecting ducts. So this is where we get the ADH effect primarily um, by increasing the number and effect of something called aquaporin 2 channels. The V3 receptor causes... Um, Increased ACTH, increasing cortisol secretion, and then there also are, I can see in my notes, OTR and P2 receptors, um, which again my notes make no elaboration upon, and I'm going to make the dangerous assumption that they have no relevance to what we do in ICM. So why would you pull out the vaso when we can get the same vasopressor effect from our beloved noradrenaline? Okay, so here's a few, a few theoretical arguments. In theory, the vasopressin receptors should remain fully functional in the depths of the horrific metabolic acidosis that has led your patient to end up in intensive care in the first place. The same acidosis, in theory, um, should be causing issues with the effectiveness of your catecholamines. At least that's what we're all taught. And vasopressin should be spared that. It should cause less pulmonary arterial constriction than a catecholamine might, uh, and you should even have less tachyphylaxis over time, something that we do see with noradrenaline and adrenaline. The above list of advantages do seem to come straight from the manufacturer's advert, so why doesn't it come pre-attached to every patient in the ICU? Why do we not use this more commonly? The issue bit gets a bit clouded due to the somewhat clouded evidence base. So I'm going to run through a few of the bigger named trials um, that one may trot out in a Viva type setting. Um, and with all good controversials in ICM, you, should, you could easily take the track of, well, on the one hand this and on the other hand that. And you could come up with an answer with both buttocks firmly on the fence of the issue. So let's go through some of the trials. So first up, um, probably one of the major ones is the VAST trial, V-A-S-S-T. This is Russell et al., 2008, New England Journal of Medicine, done in North America um, and Australasia. They enrolled septic patients and they 
randomized them to vasopressin, and this is blinded, um, blinded vasopressin versus a blinded infusion of 15 mics um, per kilogram, 15 mics per minute of NORAD. So basically they're saying a fixed dose vasopressin infusion is equivalent to about 15 mics of NORAD. Um, this is what patients started on if they had septic shock. Once they maxed out on the study drugs, so at the max dose of whatever blinded infusion they were on, they could use open-label additional noradrenaline. It could be titrated to keep the map at target. They enrolled 800 fairly typical ICU patients and they found a 35 versus a 39% um, mortality benefit, so a 4% absolute difference, favouring the vasopressin. But of course this was somewhat below the arbitrary statistical significance that they put in these papers. Definitely an underwhelming start. You can use the word trends of benefit, all that kind of nonsense, um, but it's not a, a slam dunk to start with. Second trial perhaps worth knowing about is the VANISH trial um, by Gordon et al, JAMA 2016. This was closer to home in the UK, 18 ICUs involved. Septic patients randomised in a similar fashion to the VAS trial. So vaso, blinded vasopressin versus blinded noradrenaline. This time the blinded norad was 12 mics um, per minute. Uh, the primary outcome here was kidney-based rather than mortality. So looking to see, is this going to spare filters? 400 patients here with no clear benefit for vasopressin. Again, hardly compelling. Enter the meta-analysis, and you'll see this is a common structure in the evolution of um, evidence in intensive care. You get observational trials, you get some randomized trials, you get your meta-analysis. Um, Nagendran et al. 2019 in critical care medicine. Um, this was a decent standard of a meta-analysis in being not just a mix of the aggregate of the overall numbers from the trials, but it was an individual patient data meta-analysis. So they got all of the individual patient outcomes from all of the trials, um, rather than just using the aggregate results and putting those together. Um, this included all of the trials that looked at vasopressin critical care um, and unsurprisingly the VAST and the VANISH trials made up majority of the numbers. No mortality benefit was found here but there was less need for CRRT and less arrhythmias in the vasopressin group. Uh, on the other hand there was some digital ischemia but no clear sign of increased mesenteric ischemia in the vasopressin group which is often used as a reason not to use it. Hence, as I mentioned, that on the one hand this, and on the other hand this, and the widely varying opinions on the use of vasopressin. It would be perfectly reasonable to say that this drug adds nothing to usual practice, and there's no evidence, good evidence based to support it, and I'll stick with my catecholamines. And lots of other reasonable people look at the data and say, well, this is a catecholamine-sparing agent, and it's a balanced approach to receptor manipulation, and it just might spare a few days on the filter. As you could imagine, though please don't actually picture this, my buttocks remain firmly on the fence, getting splinters. Uh, in terms of reading for this, the range physiology and life in the fast lane as always have excellent summaries, which is where I pulled most of the paper references from. And the main papers were Russell et al., uh, New England Journal 2008, Gordon et al., JAMA 2016, and the Gendron paper is in Intensive Care Medicine 2019. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll speak to you again there. 